Welcome to The Third Web. I'm Arthur Falls. This interview is one of quite a stack that have been sitting in reserve, waiting to be edited. At the time of recording, the long-awaited Definity consensus paper was in draft, and Dominic Williams agreed to walk me through it before release. As a huge and vocal fan of the project, it was amazing to have an advanced copy and one of the primary authors to answer questions about it. Months went by, though, with the paper remaining in closed peer review. Since producing the episode, I've actually joined the Definity team, so it's great to be able to record this introduction the evening before the day that many of us have waited over a year for, the release of the first Definity white paper. Long time, Arthur. Yeah, long time no see. Not, not that long a time, but it's still bloody good to see you, Dom. Good to see you too. Not that long in real time, but a long time in blockchain time. To begin with, I mean, I've just I've just dug through this white paper or the this draft of the white paper that I got a couple of days ago. Um, from yeah. what I from what I could actually understand of of what's contained therein, it was really exciting. It's been a document I've waited a really long time to uh, to get stuck into. So, thanks for that. Um, I thought we could start by digging. Actually, no, let's start with a brief introduction to what Definity is, and then let's go through some of the subjects contained in the paper. Um, identities and registry, random beacon, uh, blockchain and fork resolution, notarization, threshold relay and scalability, and then consistency versus availability. So um, sure. to begin with, let's just go with the, uh, the 50,000 foot view of, uh, of Definity. So Definity uh, is a decentralized network that produces a virtual computer. We call it a blockchain computer. So in that sense, it's similar to Ethereum, but um, we have a bunch of new maths and protocols um, that make it much faster, allow us to create an unbounded capacity by adding new mining participants. And uh, we also have some other focuses too. So we want to make it much easier to develop, you know, traditional business applications on Definity than using, you know, the traditional IT stack of databases and Microsoft.net and Internet Information Server and all that kind of stuff. When we think of a blockchain computer, we're very familiar with uh, with Ethereum and other similar uh, similar solutions. So how does Definity? Uh, differ from those in such a way that it can replace some of these? Definity, we don't really see um, the competition being other blockchains or smart contract platforms like Ethereum, Tezos, and EOS. You know, we want to compete with the traditional IT stack. So in order to do that, we have to produce a blockchain computer that firstly is much faster. So uh, the Definity um, test networks running over the internet today um, finalize uh, computations 80x faster than Ethereum today. And also, we need to have uh, unbounded capacity. And the reason is, you know, even if you create a network with a virtual computer that's much faster and also happens to have much more capacity than Ethereum today, uh, because it's a very useful thing, you know, that capacity will quickly become uh, used up and, and and again, you then find yourself would find yourself back in a situation where the uh, virtual computer was choking. So, for example, you know, it, with Ethereum today, it has uh, fixed capacity, and whenever an I ICO is run, 
often that fixed capacity is exceeded and consequently there's a huge backlog of transactions that choke the um, virtual computer and it's pretty much unusable for anything for you know half a day afterwards or something like that so you know we we want uh, the definity virtual computer to support a broad range of business systems you know backends for websites ordering systems that kind of thing and that involves you know a lot of computation and a lot of data storage we also of course want to eventually support things like decentralized uber decentralized ebay decentralized social networks that kind of thing so the only way we're going to make that possible is by ensuring that the capacity of the definitive virtual computer is unbounded that is as there is demand for its services the capacity can be increased as needed by adding new mining participants to the network so I know that right now, most of the people listening to what you've just said are going to be thinking that's completely impossible. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, uh, I think the industry generally is, you know, so full of kind of uh, misconceptions and prejudices and politically driven views on things, or, or should I say, perhaps, you know, financially driven views on things. But, you know, I mean, Definity's uh, building on research uh, that's been underway really through 2014 although it took a different tack at the beginning of 2015, which led us to where we are now. It makes novel use of some very important cryptography that enables it to create random numbers in a decentralized setting in a way that's unstoppable, unmanipulable, and unpredictable. It'll be the first time uh, a trustless random beacon has really existed in human history. And we use that cryptographically generated randomness to drive new protocols. Firstly, firstly, with respect to a top level blockchain, which is uh, described um, uh, in the paper you read. So we've got this thing, threshold relay is the generation of randomness. And PSC or probabilistic slot consensus is the uh, blockchain that's driven by it. But uh, that, that blockchain just records very high level consensus in the network. And the random beacon drives a whole lot of other protocols uh, which are responsible for the um, scaling out part. Uh, so we've got some amazing people on the team. I mean, you, for example, Timo Hanke, you know, the head engineer is uh, the creator of ASIC Boost. It's the only system that's been s- successful optimizing Bitcoin mining. He sort of squeezed an extra 20, 30% out of it. And that was built into S9 chips. And I, I believe uh, people like Jihan Wu profited from it. We've got a Ben Lin, who joined us from Google, and uh, you know all of the threshold relay techniques rely upon this thing called BLS cryptography, which is a bilinear pairing system that was devised uh, in sort of 2000 by a guy called Dan Bonnet, Ben Lin, and um, other guy, something Strachan. And so you know B is Bonnet, L is Lin, S is Strachan, and um, we have Ben Lin uh, on the team. And, you know, it sort of goes on like that. You've got Shige Mitsunari, one of the world's best writers of cryptography libraries. And there's a big list of uh, other extraordinary research scientists and engineers joining too, which you'll see appear on the team page over the uh, coming months. Let's start by looking at how how the Definity system works. And the way you divided it up in the paper, I thought was was quite a good way, um, made it it much easier to to understand than through the... um, the infinite number of, uh, of disparate conversations I've had about it. So to begin with, um, identities and registry and, uh, and the bonded validatus validation system that you guys use. In uh, Definity, each full node, full mining node, 
is expected to provide an approximate, approximate amount of computational capacity. That's, you know, processing and storage. And this is actually enforced with uh, cryptographic techniques. And to create one of these full nodes, you need a, or rather add one of these full nodes to the network in an act minus cheated by uh, making a definitive deposit on the chain. So it's a bit different to normal proof of stake in the sense that each node has an equivalent, roughly equivalent role. And so consequently, the d- deposits are the same. Uh, rather than a miner coming around and saying, hey, this is, you know, this is my enormous stake and configuring his node with it. And, and thereafter, that node having a likelihood of participate, you know, creating a new block in proportion to the pro rata to the size of the stake relative to all the, the tokens in the network. You know, e- each node in the network has uh, an equivalent chance of participating in creating a new block, for example. And, uh, you know, uh, whereas, you know, a consumer miner might have a kind of single uh, box somewhere in their house that um, contains a single mining identity um, on a hobby basis, you know, to make some limited returns. You know, a professional miner might have, you know, a very large number of uh, hundreds or thousands of, of these nodes, you know, each with its own mining identity. And these mining identities, identities, of course, are recorded on the blockchain itself. And the net, these nodes are also formed into groups. Um, and these groups, if they can, they, they run something called a DKG or a distributed key generation protocol. And if they, they can do that successfully, they also register their group identities, either group public key on the ledger too. And so, what is the reason for this particular um, for this particular arrangement? Uh, why not go with something more traditional, in which a uh, in which an identity's ability to um, influence the creation of blocks is dependent on their uh, total staked value? Why why do you insist on having these um, these indiv- uh, large number of individual identities? There's there's a couple of reasons actually. Um, the first is a, a kind of obvious one, which is that if you want to create a scalable virtual computer, you need to partition responsibilities for processing and storing data across a number of uh, participants. So uh, the easiest way of doing that is to assume that each node in the network supplies an approximately you know, similar amount of computational capacity. And makes it much easier for the protocol to, you know, partition processing and storage across them. So that's that's one reason. The other reason actually is a security reason. If you think about a traditional proof of stake network, where each miner just deposits all all of his stake in a single node, the danger is that somebody has a, another network that's faster with smart contracts, and they create a contract to bribe the current node. So let's say, Arthur, you uh, a miner on some proof of stake network, and you have a node upon which you, you deposited all your stake, or maybe there's a group of you for some, you know, for the purposes of fault tolerance or something like that. This, there might be a smart contract set up by an attacker on another chain that offers you um, a financial return to do something bad. Now, Generally speaking, the purpose of a cryptocurrency or, or a blockchain network is to generate security by making it, one of the you know, aims is to generate security by making it too expensive for an attacker 
to um, acquire enough of the network that they can um, make bad things happen, right? But in this case, you know, the smart contract can say whoever is the next uh, miner or group of miners selected, you know, to generate the next block, say, can alternatively do something bad, right, or fail to take some action and instead get some kind of reward from the smart contract, which will be greater. Most miners will take the view that, well, hey, by my not doing my job properly or us not doing our jobs properly, the cryptocurrency will be devalued. And therefore, of course, the value of my stake um, will go down. Okay. But you'll notice that, that this contract on the other network only has to bribe the current miner or group of miners. And, you know, those individuals, those, those nodes can be completely bought out. And that's much less expensive than bribing a significant part of the network. Um, for example, Algorand has this weakness. E- each block is created by a kind of committee, if you like, of, of miners. And, you know, these miners deposit all their stake in a single kind of node, if you like, or a single identity. And you can imagine that there's a smart contract on another network that says, hey, current committee, you know, if you um, do something bad, such as refuse to produce the next block so the network stalls, we will pay you double what's in your stake. Let's say you're a minor author and you know you, you, you had $50,000 worth of cryptocurrency staked on your node. Uh, and some, you know, you'd had some pro rata chance of being selected, but now you've been selected. This more contract would say, "Hey, Arthur, <clears throat> refuse to participate in producing the next block, and 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 um, you get this kind of reward." That, that's a problem. But if you um, instead have, you know, very large numbers of nodes, that that attack doesn't work anymore. So, for example, in Definity, there's always a current group that consists of random <clears throat> a random selection of nodes that both creates the next random number and, and, and also notarizes the current block. And that group changes at each height. Now, the group size in the case of Definity, or at least currently, is 400. So an equivalent smart contract would have to make an offer for all of those nodes. But the problem for the attacker now is that, you know, that random selection of four, 400 nodes will be a sampling of the great majority of large miners in the system right okay so so you know let's say you know you're a miner as before but you know you have a thousand nodes in the network each with let's say a thousand dollar deposit on them or something right now you know the next random group has been selected and in that group you might have two or three um nodes now, the thing is, this smart contract saying, hey, uh, if you do something bad or pre- refuse to participate in the network to try and help make the network stall or something, you get this reward. You know, you get, um, you know, double the stake for each node. Like, say, let's say each node is a deposit of $1,000. Well, you're going to get, you know, $2,000 for each node that does this bad thing. You're going to look at this smart contract and say, well, it's not worth it because, you know, I've, I've got 1,000 nodes and you're only going to buy me out of two or three of them. And if if this succeeds in stalling the network, well, the value of my 
definitives is going to fall enormously. So although I may have been bought out of, you know, let's say three of my thousand nodes, um, I'm not going to be bought out of the 997 other nodes, right? And so clearly I'm going to make a dramatic loss by, or, you know, contribute to dramatic loss by participating in this thing. So, uh, that, yeah, so there's so, actually sort of two, two reasons. So this works in part because of the ability to take a random sampling of the network and forcing... Uh, forcing the larger participants of the network to have, um, at best, only a like a proportionate representative representation of their total um, total stake in the in the network uh, in that random sampling. Exactly. So uh, you know, you know, you've got a group of four hundred nodes participating in you know notarizing the. Uh, current block and then relaying to the next group and you know notarize the next block and uh, you know that random sampling of 400 will represent likely a thin slice of all of the major miners nodes and this is actually, so you can't really so you can't game it so really now we're we're getting into what is next on the list and that is the random beacon and that is what powers the uh that's what powers the Definity Network's ability to um, to take that slice. That's right. This this uses uh, this this um, builds on the properties of what we call unique deterministic signature schemes to generate a decentralized VRF or verifiable random function. Now, uh, a unique deterministic signature scheme is different from something like ECDSA. So, let's say I have a you know, an ECDSA key pair, you know, a public key and a private key, and you present to me a message, um, and, you know, I can return to you a signature on that message. Now, clearly that signature must be some sort of random number, otherwise you predict what it was and it wouldn't be secure. And we all know that signature schemes are secure, or at least no one's found a way of um, breaking them yet. The problem with ECDSA, though, is that, you know, if you give me a message, I can actually create lots of different valid signatures on that message. And of course, um, this is the property that gave rise, rise to transaction malleability and possibly some of the problems at Mt. Gox and so on. Now, a unique deterministic signature scheme is different in, in that if you present a message to me and I return a signature on that message to you, as before, you can validate the signatures correct against my public key. However, I can only produce a single valid signature. Only a single signature on that message is possible. Okay? So, in a sense, you know, uh, if you present a message to me and I haven't seen the message before, that's my seed, you know, I don't know what the random number is going to be until I actually create it, and you certainly don't know what the random number is. Now, uh, on its own, this isn't too useful because, um, you know, if whenever you have a single uh uh, or uh, participant generating a random number from a seed, well, you know, he, clearly he could refuse to do it, for example, it's not fault tolerant. So what's really interesting is uh, there's a bilinear pairings uh, cryptography scheme called BLS, um, again, standing for uh, Bonnet, Lynn, Strachan, and, you know, Bonnet is Dan Bonnet, he's head of secure systems at Stanford, and Ben Lynn was one of his uh, uh, PhD students back in 2000 when they worked on this, and Ben Lynn uh, works for Definity now, he joined us from Google. And BLS uh, is a unique deterministic signature scheme. And what's remarkable is that the threshold version of BLS is also unique and deterministic. And there's something 
thing called the DKG, which I'll get to. So this is what it means uh, with respect to the threshold scheme. So if you have a group of nodes, okay, they can run this DKG and, and set up... Wait, so a DKG is a distributed key generator? Yeah, a distributed key generation protocol. Yeah, so let's say we have, you know, we choose 400 random nodes and we say, hey guys, try and set up threshold, um, a threshold signature scheme. And if you succeed, if they succeed by running this DKG, that group of nodes is going to end up with a single public key, just like you might have a public key and a private key, right? So that group of nodes now is going to end up with a single public key. And those, in the case of 400, like a group of 400 being chosen like Infinity, you know, each of those 400 nodes will have a share of the private key. It's called a private key share. And when the you know a message is presented to the group, each of the members uses its private key share to create a signature share. Now it's a threshold scheme because you only need a threshold of these signature shares to produce the signature of the group. So let's say, as in the case of Affinity, the group size is 400 and the threshold is 201. That means that if the group the group is presented with a message, only 201 of the group members need to create a signature share. Um, and you can combine those 201 signature shares to create the group signature. What's remarkable is that the unique and deterministic property is preserved in, in, in the threshold case. So, you know, given some message and given the public key of the group, only one signature on the message is possible. So this kind of magic, there's this kind of almost like magic property where, you know, you've got this group of 400 nodes, 201, the threshold of 201 have to produce signature shares in, in order for the threshold signature, of the, you know, the, the, the group signature to be produced. Um, but, but it doesn't matter which 201 members of the group sign, the group signature is always the same. And, and that's your source of randomness. Yeah, so, you know, the signature is a 32-byte number, or you can increase precision. You know, it's obviously a random number. Otherwise, you could predict the uh, signature that a group would produce, and we know that's not possible. Otherwise, these signature schemes wouldn't be secure. So in Threshold Relay, uh, you know, we start off with some group signing the Genesis block when the network launches. This produces a new random number. That random number is used to select the next group, and that next group signs the previous group's random number to generate a new random number, which selects the next group, right? And that group signs the previous group's signature to produce a new random number that selects the next group, ad infinitum. And so long as we know the group's public keys in advance, the chain of randomness that will be produced is entirely deterministic. So what I'm hearing so far, this doesn't sound like uh, consensus so much as it sounds like a mechanical system for preventing dishonest actors from influencing the network? Well, you see, the interesting thing here is that, um, you know, uh, the whole network could agree on, agree on the sequence of random numbers. So um, it's first of all, we've got a very robust system because, you know, when a group is selected, the members of the group just simply sign the previous group's random number stroke signature, and then they just broadcast the signature share. There's no wiggle room, right? This is unmanipulable. The math, uh, you know, is completely deterministic. So, you know, you'll 
get this verifiable random function that produces randomness deterministically. But of course, you know, it's unpredictable because each successive random number has to be created um, by the current group. So, um, and, and this is fault tolerant, of course. So, you know, if you've got a network, say, of 10,000 nodes, and 3,000 of those nodes are faulty, you know, just 30% of them are faulty, and you, you know, randomly select a group of 400, uh, and then, you know, the, the probability that 200 or, more, 200 or more of those nodes in the group are faulty, which is what would have to be the case in order for the group to malfunction and, and, and the there after stall. The probability of 200 or more of those nodes in, the, in, in this randomly selected group being faulty is 10 to the minus 17, which of course is, you know, wait, wait until the heat death of the universe type stuff. And if you weren't even, if you weren't happy with 10 to the minus 17, you could increase the group size to 500. And I think it goes to 10 to the minus 23 or something insane. So in, unless you sort of lose uh, half your network or something like this, the threshold relay protocol that produces the you know the random beacon is unstoppable but it's also the random numbers being produced are completely unmanipulable and also unpredictable because you, you know you need the next group to uh, produce the next one where does the blockchain fit into all of this so uh the beautiful thing about threshold relay and the sequence of random numbers it produces is that not only is it unmanipulable and unpredictable Everybody in the network, you could have a million, million nodes in the network, but everybody can agree on that sequence of random numbers without running a consensus protocol. So if you think about it, that's very remarkable. You know, this um, random beacons being produced by the network without a consensus protocol ever being run, right? Because, you know, when we select the next threshold group, right, we've relayed to the next threshold group, its members just broadcast signature shares on the previous group's signature, right? And when you can collect 201 of these, you can combine them to create the the next random number. But, you know, these things are just broadcast over the peer-to-peer -peer network. No consensus protocol has been run. And we use um, this agreement on the sequence of random numbers to drive high-level protocols. So the first high-level protocol we drive is called probabilistic slot consensus, which uh, is kind of inspired by Nakamoto consensus, but makes use of this uh, VRF the network's producing. It's you know able to progress much more quickly than any other blockchain in history. That is on a public network, it'll be ATX faster than Ethereum today. It also we also reuse the threshold groups to notarize blocks and derive other properties so we, we know we, we get rid of many traditional problems like selfish mining and nothing at stake and are able to achieve extremely fast finality so in the normal case in the optimal case uh you know finality is um achieved in 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 just a, in, in two blocks in a relay uh, which you know is about five seconds so you mentioned notarization just before um what is the role of the of the notaries and uh, and how do they uh, how does that um, subsystem function? So um, if if we were just to forget about blockchain for a moment, we can imagine a network where there's a you know some fixed selection of groups and you know these groups just relay between each other the current block signing the signature of the previous block uh, to produce a new random number which then selects the next group and so on. Um, 
we combine this with this PSC probabilistic slot consensus blockchain protocol where the new random number orders all of the nodes in the network so that we can um, select, uh, if you like, a block minter. So once the new random number is created at height h, that creates an ordering of all the nodes in the network for h plus 1. Um, you know, slot 0 is the highest priority slot, slot 1 the next, and so on. And you know, we hope that slot 0 will, will broadcast a new block, and we score the blocks such that you know if you're a, a slot a slot zero block would be one point a slot one block would be half a point a slot two block would be quarter of a point and so on once you know that new random number has been created typically the 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 next group that's been selected will wait for the block time let's just say um, for the sake of argument five seconds and while it's waiting for the block time to expire it will observe new chain heads being produced. Typically, that'll be in a chain head from slot zero and a chain head from slot one, say. And on, upon the expiry of the block time, the members of the group, the next group, will begin creating signature shares on the highest scoring chain head that they've seen. Now, in a normal operation, of course, that's probably going to be a slot zero chain head. And the group members start um, broadcasting signature shares on that. And they won't sign any other chain head because there's no other high scoring chain head. Well, and so as they as they sign that uh, that block produced that chain head, um, they then rebroadcast that to their peers to the rest of the um, that particular um, validation group. But they're all connected by a broadcast network. So you know if you're in the current group, um, you um, wait for the block time to expire. Uh, you look at the chain heads that you've seen and you broadcast a signature share on the highest scoring chain head and look it might be just because of some asynchrony in the network that the highest scoring chain head i can see is from slot one but then soon after just as i've just as i've signed slot you know broadcast a signature share on a slot one chain head all of a sudden you know a high scoring chain head from slot slot zero appears and then i'll sign that too but I only sign the highest scoring uh, chain head that I've seen. And the group will continue doing that until it sees that at least one chain head has been notarized, i.e. that the group signature has been added to at least one of the um, chain heads. And as soon as that happens, the group members then relay. And, you know, they do that by, of course, broadcasting signature shares on the previous group's random number stroke signature and so that right and that is that achieves finality right well it doesn't i mean it's not a consensus protocol you know um in the traditional sense neither is it you know just an eventually consistent log like bitcoin so you know if you think about a traditional proof of work blockchain um it's not it doesn't produce consensus it produces kind of a, you know kind of a, a agreement uh, but but in a sort of eventually consistent way, uh, but 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 it's it's not final agreement. If you know if if you have a, you know a correctly functioning proof of work network, o over time the correct mining power will add blocks to you know a correct chain. But if for example the correct miners stopped working, right, 
stopped adding blocks, well, an adversary, the bad guy, could go back in time and could completely undo all of the chain that everyone thought was correct by, you know, creating a branch any number deep and, and just rebuilding a new longer chain. So that's different to a traditional consensus protocol where people, you know, all the correct processes at the end of the protocol execution can agree on what's been decided and walk away. And that result can't be changed. Definity kind of falls somewhere between the two. You know, in the case of a proof of work network, you've just got an eventually consistent log. You know, agreement is uh, increasingly certain as, uh, you know, the, a block becomes buried by more blocks. But, you know, uh, if the correct processes or the correct participants in, in, in the proof of work network were ever to stop working, then the adversary could completely rewrite history and create a new longest chain, which would become the correct chain. You know, the other extreme, you know, traditional consensus protocols that don't work very well in the decentralized setting um, or become extremely inefficient in a decentralized setting with lots of participants, uh, which will, however, you know, decide on a result in such a way that all of the correct participants can walk away and know that that result can never be undone. Definity sits somewhere in the middle. And as that blockchain progresses, you know, forks can occur. It is probabilistic. You know, if there's a synchrony in the network, you know, the current group might see, let's say, you know, a chain head from after the expiry of the block time. The current group may only have seen a chain head, let's say, from slot one. And then, you know, the members of that group might broadcast signature shares on that slot one chain head. And then, you know, a split second later, finally, you know, Johnny come lately, slot zero appears. And then, you know, they always sign the highest score on chain head they've seen until at least one block's been notarized. So they'll sign that too. So that would mean, you know, you've got, you've got a fork. However, the important distinction is that um, once that group is relayed to the next group, any kind of chain head that's been floating around that hasn't been notarized is now dead because guy is going to mint a block at the next level can only base his new block upon a notarized chain head. So once uh, a block at some level, some height has failed to be notarized and you've, you've got a relay and, and something at the next level has been notarized, it's dead. So this prevents a variety of uh, selfish mining attacks because uh, it's impossible to withhold a block and then selectively broadcast it later to gain some advantage. I mean, there are some, I won't go into the details, but there's some special complex aspects to the protocol with relation that prevent one level deep selfish mining. But the general point here is that selfish mining is prevented. And actually, as it turns out that, you know, selfish mining is a much more serious problem in proof of stake protocols than it is in proof of work. The other dimension to this is that, you know, it helps uh, remove the nothing at stake problem, because if you wanted to sort of collect old keys in as much as that might be possible, you know, it's a much tougher job now because at each level in the past, blocks, you know, valid blocks have been created by a large group of individual nodes, you know, and you'd need at least 201 of the private key shares of those, of each group member, sorry, of each group, uh, in order to produce the group signature, you know, the notarization on a block. So how does this enable the, um, the stellar and completely unprecedented uh, scalability uh, that you claim is achievable with Definity? Well, f- f- first of all, you know, uh, we've just been discussing, you know, the random number generation via threshold relay and the simple blockchain protocol that enables called probabilistic slot consensus, which is derived from Nakamoto consensus, really. And 
in the optimal case, without going into the details and the math proof and so on, uh, you can get finality in two blocks in a relay. So, you know, since uh, the block time can be brought down to, you know, a couple of seconds, you know, we're expecting finality in about five. So that's, you know, that, that gives you this incredible speed, you know, ATX faster than Ethereum. Actually, as it happens, because the block time is constant, you get rid of the Poisson distribution of proof of work. Um, it's possible for each block mentor to incorporate a lot more processing in the form of computation into each block. This means the, you know, the capacity, if you just use it in the very simplest application to create a sort of non-scalable blockchain computer like um, Ethereum, you know, the capacity is also much larger than Ethereum, um, probably to a similar magnitude that it's faster. But, but you know, of course, that's not good enough because, uh, you know, the mo if, if this is all we did, you know, we'd release this uh, Definity network, for example, in the form of the test network, network we already have, and oh, isn't it wonderful? It's ATX faster than Ethereum, and computations are finalized in five seconds, and oh, it's got more capacity too, wonderful, we can do all this stuff. The, the problem is that there's a huge number of applications of these kind of virtual blockchain computers. And the moment you present uh, such a network to the world, people will quickly find uses that will consume all of its available capacity. And even though you start off with 100x capacity of Ethereum, well, guess what? It's all being consumed and you've got the same problems with Ethereum. You know, in their case, you know, an ICO runs and the blockchain computer chokes for hours and hours afterwards, making it impossible to use it for business applications, say, or a decentralized Uber. You know, in the same way that would also happen to Affinity, right? You have exactly the same problem, even though it's much faster and has much more capacity. So we need to have unbounded capacity such that as people, you know, mining participants join the network, the capacity of the network increases. Now, as it turns out, that's not an easy problem to solve. And I believe the only way of solving it, and this is the way we've solved it, is to, you know, with the help of a, a random beacon of the form that we've got. So you need to have unstoppable, unmanipulable, and unpredictable randomness within the network. And that can drive these other protocols. In, in the case of Definity, for example, scalable global validation layers that can sit above any number of shards that partition, you know, enable the network to partition computation and, and storage. Okay, before we actually, I'm, okay, no, we'll go straight into it. So how is this sharding, uh, how is this sharding achieved? Well, you know, uh, forgetting the um, thorny problem of how you validate, you know, billions of transactions a second and exabytes of uh, state transitions and storage and so on. What we'd like to do is, you know, uh, just increase the number of nodes in the network with each node providing, you know, some approximate amount, a fixed amount of um computational capacity. And, uh, you know, in the case of Definity, we use an actor model. So each system is an actor and you communicate with it by sending it messages. Um, so, you know, it's possible to partition and distribute your actors over these shards. And, uh, you know, they communicate will communicate with each other either either within the shard or across shards by, by sending messages. And, you know, you can imagine the, the software and the, the software uh, inside the shards, you know, involves um, sending messages, but, you know, you, you receive the, you know, you register an event handler for the, for the response, but, you know, this can be made to look like synchronous software code, rather like, you know, EC6, these promises and the await keyword in, in, in JavaScript. So, you know, we, we, we want to be able to do that. We want to just say, right, you know, whenever we need more capacity, we're just going to add more nodes, you know, we can create incentives to make that happen. And these nodes are going to be organized into having the shards we need. And each shard is going to be responsible with some replication factor 
um, for maintaining uh, you know, some subset of the total number of actors in the system. That's relatively simple to do, and you can imagine messages going back and forth between shots. The problem is, how do you make this secure? Because um, the adversary, if there's no global security there, sorry, global validation there, will say, right, okay, corrupting an individual shard is going to be far easier than corrupting the whole network. So we're just going to invest our time trying to corrupt one of these shards. And once we've corrupted one of these shards, shards, we're going to export bad data and screw all the other shards that would be otherwise correctly operating. So, for example, you know, the adversary might gain control of one of these shards. Once he's gained control of the shard, he'll award himself a trillion dollars worth of definitives and then, you know, start moving those definitives around the other, the other shards or something like that. So uh, to prevent this, you need to have a uh, global validation there. We achieve this using something called validation towers and validation trees. And validation towers are a way of using random numbers to um, validate the state transitions in a shard with a much smaller number of processes than would otherwise be possible. And these validation towers are combined in a tree-like structure, which can be thought of as the equivalent of a Merkle tree for validation. And the apex node in this tree produces a digest, which is stuck into the uh, PSC blockchain. Um, and this whole thing, you know, each of the validation towers in the tree, and indeed the tree can, you know, run asynchronously. They can run at different paces, and um, they're fault tolerant. Because, of course, it's a tree, you know, you're able ultimately to scale out the size of the you know the the, the uh, number of leaves down the bottom each of which processes a shard to any number you need all right so i think we've dug through the white paper pretty well um we've gone a little bit beyond it with uh touching on uh, how you're planning to scale this out with uh validation towers and validation trees so what what is going to be contained in these upcoming white papers so the, the paper you've got describes threshold relay and psc probabilistic slot consensus uh, which, you know, I think um, the world should be very excited by. Firstly, because in the case of Relay, it's the first time we're ever going to have a trustless, unstoppable, uh, unmanipulable, unpredictable random beacon. And in the case of uh, PSC, you know, it's a sort of uh, Nakamoto consensus-inspired in blockchain protocol that, you know, is just vastly more secure and vastly more performant. Um, there are some other papers that may, you know, perform additional security analyses of these protocols. The other papers in that particular sequence that you've got um, will explore things such as there's a thing called unique state copy ID, which uh, is some cryptography that's used to ensure that each node in the network properly replicates the data assigned to it. Um, because, you know, what we don't want to see is that you have lots of proxy kind of fake nodes that really just act as proxies for data stored in a single mainframe. That would be very bad. So we've got this thing called unique state copy ID. Obviously, we need a paper for validation trees and validation towers. We're doing all kinds of th interesting things with respect to the virtual machine um, and so on. So I think, so there's actually, you know, there's a, there's a lot of theory work that's been done within the Definity project. And ultimately, the only way of actually getting it out there is with a series of papers. There's also going to be papers um, on Definity sub-projects. So there's a there's a kind of what we call crypto fiat project called Phi. There'll be a paper describing that. Um, projects for creating a density on top of Definity. I'll be a paper describing that and sort of so on, on and on. So I think actually, I mean, the, the plan is, you know, just we, we've been sort of short of uh, resource, you know, even though we've got a big team and we're still building out as quick as we can. The plan is really just start cranking out these papers, public domain as fast as possible. 
Fantastic. I think that's a. Uh, I think we can wrap that there. Where can people find out more about Definity? So uh, there's the Definity.org website, uh, and that has some information. And you know, we, we plan on you know continuing to develop that and putting more and more more information up there. I don't think the paper's been made public yet, um, but hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll be happy with doing that soon. And the only reason we haven't made it public is it's still in in draft form, and it's it's not just. Um, that it's a draft it's that we're still adding bits to it you know security analyses and proofs and so on once that's stabilized we'll put it into the public domain even though it's in draft form and we we raised a bunch of money in february with a very kind of informal crowd sale if you want to call it that you know we just announced it with a tweet and we got some money and the value of the crypto we raised went up so we're well financed but we're running a strategic round at the moment um which will bring in uh, money from sort of high profile VCs and some strategic sort of corporate partners who've got blockchain app, you know, applications for the blockchain technology. People, a lot of people ask about this, will probably be a, a, what we call the main round, like a, an ICO, but we're gonna do that in tandem with launching the, the network itself. And the reason for doing that is to reduce regulatory risk. If we make the tokens in the actual running network available, then you know they won't they won't be securities. You know, Ether isn't a security and nor is Bitcoin in our view and the definitives won't be either. So that we hope will happen, you know, next summer. In the meantime, we're gonna release papers. We're, we've actually got a uh, kind of test network running which um, we use we, we created for the purposes of um, you know testing out threshold relay performance in the wild. Oh, by the way, I, I should mention as well, one of the biggest uh, innovations I think we're planning on um, pushing out is a, a completely new kind of peer-to-peer network. So there are a lot of, you know, both there are a lot of uh, performance and security problems with the existing P2P networks used by Bitcoin and Ethereum. We've got a completely new kind of P2P network, uh, which contains a lot of new elements no one will have seen before. Um, we'll be pushing a description of that out soon too. So yeah, you know, people people can stay abreast of the project, get the papers, hopefully soon check out the test network. We also plan on releasing a kind of threshold relay PSC test client that, you know, it's all written in Haskell. The C, obviously the, the bilinear pairing stuff, BLS stuff's all in C and ASM. But we um, plan on releasing that and, you know, it'll be a great framework for anyone out there who's interested in knowing how to build blockchain computers fantastic absolutely love it thanks for joining me and i'll uh, i'll catch you later total pleasure as always arthur speak soon awesome thank you for listening to the third web music by breakmaster cylinder check out thirdweb.net for more episodes